It is the Pure Opelka podcast for the last day of February 2024. Happy Leap Day, everybody. Yeah, we get the extra day this year, the the uh, every four-year thing happening the 29th of February. A lot of crazy deals out there, including my friends from Clear Golf. If you're a golfer, you should check out Clear Golf, Clear Sports. I posted it on Twitter, X. You can check it out. It's an incredible deal on good golf balls. And no, they're not paying me. I bought my own golf balls. Thank you. But that's how much I believe in them. A lot going on today. Leap day. Joe Biden, Donald Trump, both going to the border. Trump announced first and then Biden chased because immigration and the border and what's happening to our cities because of the 8 to 12 million people in the country illegally. It's just the number one issue. And it's a big stinking deal. So we'll see what happens with that. I'll give you an update on it tomorrow. Two radio shows tomorrow, 9 to noon in uh, St. Cloud, Minnesota for the Ox. And then 3 to 6 p.m. out of Washington, D.C. on WMAL, Washington's Mall. You can listen to one or both. There will be a lot going on tomorrow as we wrap up the week. You can check out links at puropelka.com. Puropelka.com will have links to uh, both of those shows. So we can see what the heck is going on. Uh, other things happening on this leap day. Yeah, it's it's one of those days when we do this day in history. There's oddly not a lot of history. And then it's not odd when you think about, well, it only happens every four years. So we only have about a quarter of much a chance, 25% chances there's going to be news. For example, 1692, Sarah Good and uh, Tituba were charged with witchcraft in Salem, Massachusetts, and that started all the Salem witches' madness stuff. And then you have to go to 1940 when actress Hattie McDaniel was the first black woman to win an Oscar, Best Supporting Actress, Gone with the Wind, much deserved. Yes, 1940. 1952, New York City got the very first Walk, Don't Walk sign on the corner of 44th and Broadway. In 1956, President Eisenhower announced he would run for a second term and, in fact, did win that second term. 1968, the Beatles won a Grammy for Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. And in 1972, Hank Aaron became the first Major League Baseball player to sign a contract where he was paid $200,000 a year. 1972. I think that's like a monthly salary. For most players now, 200 grand a year for the incredible Hank Aaron. In the overnight news late yesterday, the Supreme Court announced it was going to hear the case of Donald Trump uh, regarding presidential immunity. And that will start in uh, April, April 22nd. If and when that happens, the decision won't be known until the end of June, which means the Trump case, if he doesn't get immunity, will then not happen until after the election, unless there's some kind of weird deal that Jack Smith has got going on. But it looks like Trump won a big deal yesterday. At the same time, he lost his bid to have that massive fine in the New York City fraud case put on hold. But he is allowed to have family run the family business. That was the other story. That was there. And then an Illinois judge in Cook County, which is Chicago, 
booted Trump from the primary ballot and from the general election ballot, but stayed that ruling until tomorrow, giving Trump time to appeal. Now, this case is also kind of hinging on what happens in the Supreme Court case regarding uh, Colorado, which we're expecting a ruling on that any day now. So it might be a moot point, probably is a moot point. But, you know, never stop the Democrat from trying to get attention. Hunter Biden testified behind closed doors yesterday. In the middle of it, it was like seven hours of testimony. In the first hour, the Democrats freaked out and ran out because they wanted to talk to the press. Apparently, there was some pretty damning information and some information that's not going to have any impact that came out. But the Democrats couldn't wait to run out and try and leak in the first hour of a seven-hour day of testimony. Jamie Raskin standing in front of the C-SPAN microphones. Their most recent star witness, Alexander Smirnoff, is now in jail, uh, being held as a flight risk uh, after being indicted by uh, the special counsel who was named. Yeah, the uh, flight risk, who was a confidential source for the CIA for 10 years, and then suddenly represented a threat to the Biden administration and Hunter Biden, and the DOJ had him locked up. He was bailed out, and then they said, oh, no, 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 we have to keep him locked up so he can't talk to anybody. It's kind of disgusting what these guys are up to. But then again, they can't help themselves. Uh, we will see what happens when Hunter Biden testifies in public. It's going to happen not too far off. Hunter Biden's going to testify. Tony Bobulinski's going to testify. All of those will be on TV but the Democrats are freaking out. And even Adam Schiff last night went on uh, CNN talking about the freak out of the Democrats. Schiff, of course, is worried about what's happening with the Supreme Court hearing the presidential immunity case. The goal is to deny justice by delaying justice. Uh, and they may just succeed if the oral arguments are in April and a decision doesn't come out until May or June. And Judge Chutkin at the district court says they're going to have three months after that to prepare. Then you're right in the fall up against the election. That bumps up against the Department of Justice policy of not normally taking legal action in close proximity to elect an election. I think the issue here is the proximity to the election is because of the defendant's own conduct, his effort to delay the proceedings. Uh, in that case, I would hope that the, the trial goes forward whenever it gets sent back to Judge Shutkin. Sounds like someone's panicking to me, doesn't it? Yes, it does. And he's not the only one panicking. Yesterday, there was additional panic witnessed on the Rachel Maddow program over on MSNBC. Really feels like Rachel Maddow is in major panic mode here. Now, if you think about the, the court as the Supreme Court of the United States and a rational actor and a decent one, that was a reasonable supposition, and it just turns out they're not that. Um, feel, you know, incremental bit of progress here. The important question here is not whether the Supreme Court is going to decide that Donald Trump and all presidents are immune from prosecution for things they commit, crimes they committed while they were president. I mean, it would be 
fully insane for them to actually side with Trump here, right? The conclusion that we can arrive at now based on what they have done without having to wait for the ruling is that they are ensuring that Trump will not face trial. And when they inevitably rule that presidents aren't immune from prosecution after they leave office, what that will tell Donald Trump, if by then he is president, is that he can never leave the office of the presidency. There it is. And if he is voted out in 2028, he cannot leave office and he is willing to commit. He is, he is welcome to commit any crimes he wants to as long as he is still president in order to ignore the result of that election and stay in power for life, because otherwise he's going to go to prison when he gets out. This is the Democrat fever dream. She just exposed their their entire worry and their belief that if Donald Trump is reelected, he will become a dictator. He will never leave office. It's wonderful to watch, isn't it? It's amazing to watch these people melt down. And it's only because they don't have a candidate capable of standing up to Donald Trump. It's only because they are totally embarrassed by Joe Biden. And they're concerned about Biden going forward. He looks like he's got the nomination locked up, even though his brain it really isn't working. And I guess that's why Marianne Williamson unsuspended her campaign yesterday. Marianne Williamson put out a four minute and 21 second video yesterday after the Michigan primary results. And she said, I'm back, basically. Hey, I have an important announcement to make. As of today, I am unsuspending my campaign for the presidency of the United States. I had suspended it because I was losing the horse race. But something so much more important than the horse race is at stake here, and we must respond. Right now, we have a fascist standing at the door. Everybody's all upset about it. Well, we should be upset about it, but we're not going to defeat the fascist by, well, by what? What is President Biden offering? He says, let's finish the job. Well, I hope you realize we're talking about millions of voters for whom they can't even survive unless they work at two or three jobs. Marianne Williamson freaking out. And she's back in the race, even though she knows she can't win this. She can't possibly, unless she believes, if she believes she can, then she shouldn't be allowed to run because she's crazy. There is one person, I think, has a shot at upending the Democrats' apple cart who is not a Republican. One person, one candidate. And the Democrats should be afraid of him. And I'll tell you what, the Republicans should be concerned about him too. I'm talking about Robert Kennedy. RFK Jr. Has a, um, has a situation that I think the Democrats should be concerned with and uh, also the Republicans. Because I think when you stop and listen to RFK, even though he's a lifetime Democrat, now he's an independent because the Democrats were afraid of allowing him to compete against Biden in a primary challenge. He will say some things to get votes that will ring true with both sides of the aisle. For example, his take on immigrants and the border, I think, will be very attractive to some Trump voters. Listen to what he said to Martha McCallum yesterday, talking about immigrants who break the law, illegals who are here and breaking laws. Do you believe that any 
person who has crossed the border and commits a crime should be deported from this country. Of course. Of course they should be deported. And the major thing is to shut down the border, which we can do pretty much overnight. And that, you know, through a combination of policy of reinstating the Migrant Protection Act, which, which requires people who are coming through with asylum claims that their case be adjudicated in Mexico, not the United States. Um, we should end the catch and release program and, and have a catch and return program at the border. And build a uh, wall? We need the wall. We need, you need, we need a physical barrier, yes, a wall in the urban areas and places where migrants can disappear very quickly. And then we need other infrastructure, including monitoring, uh, long-range cameras, lights, fences, and a lot of the other areas. You don't need to put a wall 2,200 miles from Brownsville, Texas to San Diego, but you need monitoring systems. And we had those in place, and the Biden administration dismantled them. How about that? It sounds a lot like what Republicans have been saying about Joe Biden and the Democrats. You know he will poach some votes from Donald Trump. He's also going to poach some uh, Democrat votes, especially when he raises concerns about whether or not Joe Biden's capable of doing the actual job, no matter what his uh, doctor allegedly reported yesterday after the physical. Robert Kennedy's raising questions about Biden's ability to actually do the job. I think he needs to show Americans that, that he, you know, a lot of these decisions are, are, are the products of complex and nuanced thought, and those thoughts need to be articulated to the American people in a way that we all support him. And I do not think that that's happening now. Our children's lives are dependent on that 3 o'clock a.m. call, and we need to know that we have a president who can wake up in the middle of the night and who is on his feet and thinking about those things. And I, I don't, I'm not, I don't think, I think a lot of Americans have lost confidence in that. Yeah, Joe Biden's waking up at 3 o'clock in the morning, but it's to go pee. Let's face it, he's... He's 81 years old, and that's what happens at that age. We've seen his cognitive issues on display. Martha McCallum was intrigued by that statement by Robert Kennedy Jr. and then asked, is Joe Biden actually in charge? And this answer was astounding. You don't think he's actually in charge? You know what? I, I have a personal issue, which is my Secret Service protection. And I've known President Biden for 40 years, and he was a friend. Um, he, with all of the issues about, you know, about him, he was somebody who, I thought at least, had a kind of fundamental decency. And the fact, I just don't believe that he would have personally made the decision to deny me for Secret Service protection. I think somebody else is making those decisions. Somebody else is making those decisions. Would that rhyme with uh, Obama? Maybe? I don't know. Possibly? It could be. The other area that I think Robert Kennedy will get some support from voters is the topic of Israel and also what's happening in Ukraine. This longer clip, I think, 
is a really important one as well. Well, you know, I think Israel, like every other nation, has a right to defend itself. I think we have to come down to the fact that Hamas has said we don't want to negotiate. We want only one thing, which is the annihilation of Israel, the extermination of Jews in this part of the world. So I think, you know, I'm not a fan of Bibi Netanyahu's. I, I don't think most Israelis are. I think he would be voted out, but I think most Israelis are overwhelmed. Israel is today unified because they feel embattled. They feel that this is an existential risk to them. I think it's a, you know, it's a complex issue and it's not easy, but we have to look at what is how do you avoid civilian deaths over the long term, right. not just immediately? There's some discussion that Joe Biden, the president, could lose the vote in Michigan based on a stance that's very similar to the one that you just presented, um, because he could lose 200,000 Muslim voters in Michigan. Michigan's a state that you think you just put on the list of when you might be able to win. Is that going to hurt you there? I think, you know, we need to make that distinction that Hamas is, is not the friend of the Palestinian people. Hamas is the abuser of the Palestinian people, and we need to point to the to Hamas. You know, when we see civilian deaths happening, which are horrific, which are horrific and unacceptable, um, we need to understand that, you know, that Hamas is at fault. Let me ask you this. With regard to the border, there is a battle on Capitol Hill right now that conservatives, many conservatives believe that you should secure the border before you send another dollar to help Ukraine. Do you agree with that? I mean, I think the Ukraine war should be ended. And I think I, I wouldn't necessarily couple those issues, but I think the Ukraine war is a war of choice, um, that it's a war that's easily settled, mm -hmm. and that we should not be spending any more money in Ukraine. We need that money here. We need that money here. That is going to ring true with a whole bunch of people. The other story I would like you to follow, and I've posted links to the full video, is the interview from Lara Logan in front of a, um, a committee in, in Washington two days ago. Lara Logan, a CBS reporter, former CBS reporter, who almost lost her life in Tahrir Square years ago when she was covering a, um, the Egyptian revolution, if you will, on uh, 60 Minutes. And she was suddenly surrounded by a mob that gang raped her and kill, almost killed her, beat the crap out of her. And she survived the gang rape, the sodomization, and has gone on to do incredible reporting. But she's now out there fighting for journalism. And it, it's very dramatic what she's saying, but it's pretty damn important if you ask me. It's, uh, it's important to all of us because of everything discussed today that we address the, um, the vital principles and values that exist really only in the United States of America. And that said, these are the worst of times for the media in this country. We live in the age of information warfare where propaganda is not simply a weapon, it is the entire field of battle. This is a war for our minds that is aided by advanced technology, and we have never been here, not in all of human history. She's right. This is a, a new battle, and the technology is, is advancing very fast, and we have to make sure that we understand what's the truth 
and what is artificially created. Lara Logan also talked about how the journalists in the world, the so-called journalists in the world, especially the ones here in America, are not standing up for journalism. They're supporting whatever the power is telling them to support. And the case in point that she cited was the Tucker Carlson case after Tucker went to interview Vladimir Putin. Very long ago, we allowed one of our own, Tucker Carlson, to be branded as a traitor simply for doing his job. In fact, there were many so-called journalists who were leading the charge against Tucker, accusing him of treason for the simple fact of interviewing the president of Russia, Vladimir Putin. Yeah, uh, that's an amazing comment, especially after you hear Tucker this week tell us that the Department of Justice threatened to arrest him if he asked the wrong questions of Putin. Are you kidding me? The entire Laura Logan piece, or Lara Logan piece, is worth your 10 or 12 minutes, however long it takes. But the last part of it, I think, is the, the most powerful part, where she talks about her journey to journalism. Born in South Africa, inspired by America, and the importance of the First Amendment and the importance of a free press. The light of freedom that set fire to our hearts in South Africa was lit thousands of miles away. It was lit right here where we sit today in the United States of America. When the Founding Fathers put freedom of speech first, it was not by chance, it was by design. The rights that followed were in part created to protect the First Amendment. Without it, they knew that freedom itself would perish. I am reminded today of the words spoken by the British Foreign Secretary, Sir Edward Grey, in 1914, at the beginning of the First World War. He said, the lamps are going out all over Europe. We shall not see them lit again in our lifetime. We are once again watching the lights of freedom. They're going out here and all over the world. And it is up to us to determine if they will be lit again ever. Yeah, just wonderful testimony from Lara Logan. As I said, I put up a link to the entire video. You should watch it. What a brave soul. Um, I, I'm going to push the pause button on the politics and get into what I think is also another very important topic. Yesterday it was announced that uh, Apple was getting out of the electric car business. They haven't sold an electric car, but for the last decade they've been working on it. And uh, I, I think this is a, a major sea change in the automotive industry, especially as it relates to the electric car industry. So I reached out to our friend Lauren Fix, the car coach, to get the handle on this. Lauren, welcome, my friend. Well, hello. Yeah, lots going on. And this is kind of a little on the political side, which is certainly not the intention. Because when you talk cars, you should think it's cars, not politics. But they always seem to intersect these days. Well, everything does. Politics is in everything they say. So why wouldn't it be in the automotive industry? Apple announced that after almost a decade of trying to make an electric car, that they're not going to do it. What happened? Well, I mean, think about what it costs. You and I want to start a car company. 
what would be involved? Well, the first thing that you'd have to do is find a factory, do all the tooling, do all the design, get it approved by National Highway Traffic Safety, Department of Transportation. Just think about all, all the suppliers. I mean, unless you're using like a Honda and then you put your technology in it and call it something, you're seeing a lot of partnerships like Sony's doing that they're partnering with Honda. It'd be very, very, very expensive. Well, they called the project the Titan Project. And anything that comes out of Apple, you would expect it to be very unique looking like the original Apple Mac when it came out with funky colors. And we know it would have Apple CarPlay and Apple screens and Apple technology. And much like the, the new headsets, that type of technology would have been integrated. It would have been all electric. It would have been autonomous and would have no steering wheel or pedals. Now for me as an Apple fan, I've got Apple watches and phones and laptops. I, I'm really not into the amusement ride because we're talking about, a, I am not saying it's bad about safety, but it makes me uncomfortable that things don't go right, weather changes, accidents, whatever. You can't grab the wheel. You can't steer away or accelerate if there's no pedals and no no steering wheel. So Apple it was having a lot of trouble with that. But now they've decided to wind down the complete project. And I think the reasoning that they're, they're thinking this is, is they're really concerned about building a car and the total costs and then they look at companies like tesla and they're living off of the um you know the tesla name and all these carbon credits and you're beholden to the government and now the sales of electric vehicles have dropped off another thing you maybe we'll just expand on how cool apple carplay is give you even more features add some of our autonomous features our ai allowing you to like help you think to get places that you want and then re-offer it back to the car manufacturers because they had pulled it away thinking they were going to handle it all themselves. And now they're rethinking the whole thing, which is actually good for us as consumers because it means every car can have Apple CarPlay versus some of the new things they have now where they're taking it away. I like this idea and, and I, I welcome it because I'm a fan of Apple CarPlay. I think it works really well in just about any car I've used it in. But now here's my question, Lauren. Do you know how many prototypes they built and can we get our hands on one? Because wouldn't it be cool to have in your collection the prototype for the Apple Titan? I think it would be cool. You will never get your hands on those. You know those will end up in the warehouse somewhere underneath a wrap in a box, you know, up on the top of the, you know, the, the pallet racking. Um, or they'll disassemble it. Um, I don't think you're going to see them anywhere. But, you know, when they pull the plug... You're talking about letting go about 2,000 employees because wow. they canceled all the development. That's a lot. So I, I think it would be really cool to have one just to see what they look like when no one ever got to really see what it looked like. Yeah. Uh, but taking those few employees and revamping Apple CarPlay and making it bigger and better and better screens and going to companies like Tesla, who they turned their back on, going to companies like General Motors and Ford and saying, hey, we got something bigger, better to offer. I think that's really a smart play from a financial standpoint, the stock standpoint, and consumers all get to use it rather than, oh, you can only get it in our car, which I think was the original mindset. Yep. Yep. I, I get that. That is uh, good car smarts, as you like to say. One more quick yeah. question, Lauren yeah. Fix, the car coach. Uh, uh, the, uh, the great company, Mercedes-Benz, was mm -hmm. going to be all electric. They told us they were going to build all their vehicles in an electric form by 2030. And, and now we're hearing differently. What happened there? Oh, is that, they're not the only ones. There's some more news today. So Mercedes-Benz is getting very cold feet on their EV only program because they're realizing the sales just aren't there. 
Their cars are more expensive for electric vehicles and the profit is absolutely negative. So if you're not making money on this, how can a car company survive? They can't. And there's weaker demand on electric vehicles on a global basis. And that is a problem. So now you're also seeing Renault shelving its plans. It's a French car company, for those who don't know who Renault is, or you don't remember the Le Car or the Fuego, I'm dating myself. Uh, they're, they're reduced, they're shelving their whole EV plan. General Motors is cutting their electric vehicle production plan. Uh, I just saw before we got on this call that Aston Martin is delaying its electric vehicle plan. Translation, we're not going to do this. Also, Genesis, which is also Hyundai, have decided not to go all EV. But I know that because I actually had a conversation with the CEO of Hyundai Corporation who told me, we knew this could potentially happen. They don't, no, no one knows the future. You can only guess, right? So he said, all of our vehicles will either be gas, hybrid, or electric, letting consumers make the choice. And if consumers choose not electric, they'll reduce down their available options to maybe more reasonably priced vehicles. And I think that's really interesting. And as you're seeing other brands starting to shelve, you may realize that Toyota, Akio Toyota, not Toyota, but it's Toyota, was the smartest one to say from the beginning, this is really not a good idea. We offer hybrids, they're offering hydrogen, they're offering a few electric cars, but they're always going to have gas and diesel and hybrid as a mix, letting the consumer set the demand rather than the government. It's always about the consumer in our world, in the capitalist world. That's a great thing. Our guest is Lauren Fix. She is the car coach. You can find her on all forms of social media. She's got great stuff. And if you go to her YouTube channel, Car Coach Reports, you'll get great reports every week. Thank you, my friend. There she goes. And here I go. It is Thursday, as I said, February 29th. And it is also my anniversary of my wedding with my wife, Donna, 32 years today. Happy anniversary, honey. I'm ending the podcast early so we can go celebrate. Till tomorrow when I will be live on the radio in St. Cloud, Minnesota from uh, 9 a.m. to noon East Coast time. And then again, 3 p.m. to 6 p.m. on WMAL for the great Vince Colonnese. I am Michael Pelka reminding you, testudo, my friends, testudo.